Hello, I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to this special late-night podcast again, wrapping up the day's developments in Artsakh. The situation in Artsakh remains extremely critical and fluid, with conflicting information coming in all the time, made even more complicated by the disruption in communication lines. Many people can't get in touch with family members from whom they've been separated, and the lack of information for people in Artsakh on the ground has made it a very dire situation. Despite a ceasefire that came into effect on September 20 at 1 p.m. this morning, reports started coming in from Stepanakert from locals that gunshots from small arms can be heard in the capital. Tiranur Sarkisyan, a freelance journalist in Artsakh, tweeted saying Azerbaijan has started firing with artillery, causing people to panic very close to Stepanakert. It feels like they are not ready to keep their end of the initial agreement. Machine guns can be heard in the background of a video posted by Stepanakert-based journalist Marut Vanyan taking from the Stepanagert hospital hours later, a report by Artsakh's police confirmed that Azerbaijani armed forces uh, from the neighboring areas of the capital are, uh, were firing from a variety of firearms, and for safety reasons, they were urging people to stay in shelters and uh, said that they will inform them more about the situation. And you know, Maria, people had been gathering at the Stepanagert airport since yesterday. However, this morning's ceasefire violation kind of made the situation more complicated and people panicked, so more people were gathering at the Stepanakert airport in the hopes of evacuation and or safety. And uh, this is all happening when there's no communication, there's no electricity, electricity lines have been hit, people cannot charge their phones, there are people missing, people cannot find their relatives because they don't know what has happened to them or if they're somewhere safe, but simply it's a connection issue. There's uh, really, you know, horrific stories coming out, and we can't verify them. I'm, um, of course, these are people who have family members, and there was a, a, a video that Marut Vanyan had shared on Twitter of people at the Stepanagert hospital recharging their phones because it was their only lifeline, and they were saying, we don't know what's happening. It was an endless matrix of phones mm-hmm. just like connected to one outlet. Yeah. And Maria, there's all these stories of connection being lost with whole villages, with whole towns. So, for example, for the longest time, we didn't know what was happening in in Martakert as well, and uh, families losing connection with other family members. And no, it's it's it has been horrific. There, um, just you know, as we're taping this podcast, there's the story of a woman, Sofik. She's a mother of five. She witnessed how Azerbaijan bombed a group of children trying to hide three of her own children were wounded and she doesn't know where her fourth child is and at least five children were killed and 13 were injured in her village now and you know today um we had numbers this morning which we'll talk about but those numbers will definitely increase as we find out i fear it's going to be quite Devastating. Well, I fear this podcast is more about all the things we don't know than exactly. uh, than the things we uh, we know. Because human rights defender of Armenia tweeted just a couple of hours ago saying that the humanitarian disaster in Nagorno Karabakh continues. Our monitoring reveals massive atrocities and violations of substantial human rights. But she didn't give details. There's no report yet. And we know, unfortunately, from uh, experience that the, especially the military death toll, uh, we're not going to hear about for mm-hmm. at least a couple of more days, or we're going to hear about the final number, like little by little. It's not going to be kind of comprehensive at the very at the moment. At right. the moment. Uh, the same thing goes for Azerbaijan. They have not announced an official number of deaths on their well, side. Maidan TV had announced uh, 80 uh, military deaths, uh, Azerbaijani, but of course, 
this is not an official number, and even that number for Azerbaijan, because they always tend to hide the the true numbers, uh, is significant. Yes, that was a calculation based on open sources That's and right. reports from the mm-hmm. last couple of days. Well, according to the Russian Defense Ministry, the, about 5,000 civilians were brought to the base of the Russian peacekeeping contingent in Artsakh. Um, you know, according to their statement, the peacekeepers are carrying out tasks on the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, continuous interaction is maintained with Baku, Yerevan, and Stepanagert, aimed at preventing bloodshed. Well, they're not doing a very good job ensuring security and compliance with humanitarian law. Um, you know, in relation to the civilian population as well as ensuring the safety of their own peacekeepers. But then later, you know, we've been hearing very, again, conflicting reports from the airport. And let's just be clear, that airport has never been operational. So the people who are gathered there are not there looking for an airplane or a helicopter because those planes have never flown. Um, so they're just there because the peacekeepers... Because there's a landing strip, probably, <laughs> and they're hoping for... Uh, well, also, you know, people were being interviewed and they're saying, you know, there's there's no amenities, people are outdoors or in their cars, or they've brought firewood. The Russians are saying, well, you you can't leave, we can't keep you, but we can't send you anywhere. Armenia doesn't want you. So even that Russian narrative, has it's continuing today. Well, we'll talk about it later because we have to, because Pashinyan went live and Mm -hmm. kind of elaborated on that. And another story from today that we are basically talking about what we don't know. This morning, representatives of the authorities of Nagorno-Karabakh and Azerbaijan had agreed to meet uh, in the Azerbaijani city of Yavlakh. Uh, we began seeing video footage of the Armenian delegation arriving from telegram channels and uh, mainly Azerbaijani sources. Well, there was, for the longest time, we didn't know who were the uh, members Armenian of the types. Armenian delegation. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that it was going to take place at what hour. We just saw the videos at one point. Right, so we were, it was the most ridiculous situation we were having to rely on Azerbaijani and Russian media sources to try to understand what was happening. Azerbaijani media reported that the meeting, you know, they announced when the meeting was underway. The Armenian delegation was represented by Sergei Mardirosyan, David Melkumyan, who's a member of parliament. Uh, a representative of the Russian-Turkish peacekeeping contingent attended the meeting as, as a participant. And well, about the meeting, again, we had to rely heavily on Russian sources and Azerbaijani sources, and I felt so bad throughout the day kind of trying to find mm-hmm. and if there's an Armenian, Armenians have said anything or is there an Armenian statement. Well, Russian and Azerbaijani media outlets reported about the meetings. Uh, the Russian TASS news agency reported that when discussing uh, issues of a social and humanitarian nature, representatives of the Armenian residents of Artsakh communicated that there's a special need for fuel at the time they ask for humanitarian assistance from Baku, also in the form of food. Well, uh, according to TASS, Azerbaijan plans to soon provide fuel uh, for heating systems for kindergartens and schools, as well as emergency medical services and fire services, and provide humanitarian support. Well, you know, of course, if you keep a population under blockade for almost 10 months, of course, they're going to need assistance. And according to Trend.az, the discussions focus on the reintegration of the Armenian population of Gharapagh, restoration of infrastructure, uh, which they've destroyed, and organization of activities on the basis of, of the constitution and laws of the Republic of Azerbaijan. I'm just going to jump into something here. I was listening to this interview on France 24 uh, with the Azerbaijani ambassador to France, and the, the anchor was asking her directly, 
will you accept international peacekeeping mission or an international mechanism to come in to protect the people? She goes, no, we're having dialogue now. See, we're providing fuel. We had dialogue this morning. Everything is lovely. With, you we're going to do it again. We <laughs> agreed to do it again. That is also actually what Trent said. They said that the presidential administration of Azerbaijan said that an agreement was reached to organize the next meeting with the Armenian residents of Azerbaijan's Khangendi in the near future. Yeah, and as you said, Rubina, we didn't get any uh, official um, statement until around 6 p.m. Artsakh's Info Center reported uh, on September 21, a meeting between the reps of Azerbaijan and Artsakh took place um, with the uh, Russian mediation. And during the meeting, uh, the meeting was held in a working atmosphere. A number of issues of mutual importance were discussed. The parties emphasized that all existing issues need to be discussed in a peaceful atmosphere with the readiness to continue the meetings. Well, even they say with the Russian presence, they don't say it is the Russian-Turkish peacekeeping mission, right? right. <laughs> Which is what uh, the other side is uh, is reporting. Well, moving on, but staying on the subject, Nathalie Loiseau, chair of the Subcommittee of Security and Defense in the European Parliament, tweeted today. She said more than 60 uh, members of European Parliament are following me to demand that Europe sanction Ilham Aliyev's regime for its offensive against the Armenian people of Nagorno-Karabakh. It's a little bit too late, but anyway, uh, talking of too late, the European External Action um, Committee tweeted, the EU condemns the military operation by Azerbaijan against the Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh and deplores the casualties and loss of life caused by the escalation. And, um, you know, Joseph, then they published Joseph Borrell's uh, statement, EU calling on Azerbaijan Azerbaijan to allow immediate, unimpeded humanitarian access to the population. Azerbaijan bears responsibility to ensure the rights and security of the Gharapag. Armenians, including their right to live in their homes without intimidation and discrimination. We're, we're living in a fantasy land here. Uh, the forced displacement of the civilian population through military or other means will be met with a strong response by the EU. We will wait to see that strong response. Well, the EU reiterated its support for the sovereignty and territorial integrity of both Azerbaijan and Armenia and called on Azerbaijan to reaffirm its unequivocal commitment to the territorial integrity of Armenia in line with the 1991 Almaty Declaration. The EU also says that it stands ready to further support the democratically elected authorities of Armenia, their resilient security and continuation of democratic reforms in the country. Well, in response to a question by Armen Press, Armenia's Prime Minister's uh, office said that representatives of the Armenian government are in constant contact with their partners in Gharapagh regarding the humanitarian crisis, including the issue of bringing those who wish to come to Armenia. Um, according to Armin Press, uh, the Prime Minister's office said, depending on the situation and results of discussions between the reps of Artsakh, Azerbaijan, and the Russian peacekeepers, necessary decisions will be made together with Artsakh. Well, the, uh, they said the Armenian government does not seek the displacement of the Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians and believes that their right to live safely and dignified in their homes should be guaranteed. But uh, on the other hand, if it is deemed possible for Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians or a part of them to stay, necessary decisions will be taken. However, necessary preparations are being made to respond to such a scenario. Action plans have been developed, the uh, statement said. Well, the response said. Well, and there was so much discussion around his 
statements. So this warranted a live address from Pashinyan himself and Yusuf. Well, Maria, before you go on, right. remember that uh, hiccup on the word we uh, we were yes. discussing, if it's mm-hmm. displacement, if it's evacuation, what did they mean, our deportation? Are we uh, making, a, yes, making a mistake in the translation? So what it should have been? Well, we got our answer soon enough. Well, uh, later this evening, uh, Pashinyan addressed the Armenian people in a Facebook Live to talk about the situation. He said that there has been a lot of conflicting information being shared on social networks and the media. He spoke of the situation after the ceasefire announcement, referring to the shootings that had taken place in Stepanagerd earlier this morning. He noted that some units of Artsakh's Defense Army continue to remain in positions where they were before the ceasefire, and the same refers to Azerbaijani positions. He noted that for the most part, however, this ceasefire had been holding despite a few isolated incidents. He once again noted that the objective of Azerbaijan's assault on Artsakh was to pull Armenia into military operations and create chaos in Armenia, reiterated that Armenia was not involved in any way in the drafting of the ceasefire agreement. This is between the agreement between uh, the authorities of Artsakh, the Russian peacekeepers, and Azerbaijan, and that there are no units of Armenia's armed forces in Artsakh. Yeah, he spoke about the humanitarian situation, about the news that Armenia would not accept uh, Armenians from Nagorno-Karabakh. He stressed that the Lachin Corridor has been blocked for the past 10 months and roads leading up to that point from Armenia are open. But it's, you know, beyond that, that's blocked. And he said that his government has formed a working group uh, and will make arrangements for those Armenians who will be escaping, leaving, fleeing, being kicked out. At this point, we, there's no humanitarian corridor. Those people are basically encircled, defenseless at the moment. But if there were to be... a, a passage for them. They have preparations to accommodate 40,000 families, uh, the prime minister said. He also said that there's an impression that there are forces that want the Azerbaijani plan to ethnically cleanse Nagorno-Karabakh workout in a matter that Azerbaijan comes out of it blame-free. For Azerbaijan to be able to say, see Armenia, the Armenian government, the Armenian society, the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh, they decided that they should not be any Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh, and they left. This is an extremely dangerous narrative, but on the other hand, to ensure the safety and the right of the Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians to live on their land is our obligation, he said. So he also kind of explained that the evacuation plan is in place, but that is plan C. There's a plan A and a plan B, and they also understand that plan C can become plan A at any given moment. So... But he also said that according to their sort of analysis, evaluation of the situation at the moment, the civilian population of Nagorno-Karabakh is not under direct threat. Well, the peacekeepers of the Russian Federation continue to remain in Nagorno-Karabakh and the safety of the civilian population is their direct responsibility, he said. However, having said all of this, he also went on to say how uh, poorly the Russian peacekeeping forces are doing their duties or how, how much they're failing. He also spoke about the situation that at the Stepanagert airport. He said that we have information that yesterday about 10,000 people were invited to the Stepanagert airport. They were told to go because there was a chance that they would be moved to Armenia. These people were photographed and videographed. Then they were told that the Armenian government is not allowing for their transfer.
transportation to Armenia. It is evident to me that this is uh, being done to create internal political shocks and chaos in Armenia, he said. And he went on to talk about the foreign policy context, especially in the Russian media, that the narrative is that the Armenian government is trying to blame Russia for its own failures. We are not trying to blame any of our failures on anyone. There is a November 9, 2020 trilateral statement, according to which the Lachin Corridor should have been completely under Russian peacekeeping control. They should have been the guarantors of the safety of the civilian population, and we have been vigilant in talking about this issue still a year and a half ago, pointing out that these processes are not developing in the right direction. We are owning up to our share of the blame, but we also cannot turn a blind eye to the failures of the Russian peacekeeping contingent. And, you know, on the one hand, to say that it's it, the peacekeepers who are responsible and then blaming them uh, or, you know, calling them out for, for not fulfilling their duties is what has, you know, made people... Um, extremely frustrated at the moment. And he said there are many instances that we chose not to speak out loud uh, or speak about understanding that the situation is complicated and not everything can be controllable. However, this led to this latest escalation. If the peacekeepers can mediate a ceasefire, why could they not have intervened before the attack on Nagorno-Karabakh? Everybody was sounding the alarm about the situation and we were saying that NK has been surrounded by Azerbaijani military equipment. Why would they not mediate then? These are questions that weren't answers, he said. Well, it was a long live, Maria, but he also spoke about the rallies in Armenia and the response of the law enforcement and saying that it will be strict and it will be harsh, but it will be within the confines of the law because, according to Pashinyan, it is the aim and, uh, of the people who are on the street, at least the leadership, to create a situation when there is not a proportional response from the law enforcement. Well, and just as we were coming in tonight, uh, you know, there were large protests taking place again. Since morning uh, today. Since morning, uh, they've blocked or they tried to block France Square as I was driving in. There were garbage bins, but there was nobody around. And our street here in front of our office was also blocked. Um, so, you know, th these protests will continue and we'll be covering that. And you could read all of this again on our news watch as you'll be listening to this. The United Nations Security Council hearing will probably have ended, but we will be uh, live tweeting about that. And we'll also be talking about it in our podcast tomorrow. And uh, with that, we'll leave you, um, we'll try to give you a wrap-up of the day's events. You can check our website uh, for all the live updates. Mm -hmm.